Welcome to Coaching Kidlet, a podcast about writing and publishing good kidlet. We dig into various aspects of writing craft through a kidlet lens and provide inspiration and clear, actionable items to help writers like you move forward on their kidlet writing journeys. I'm Christy Arrows, author, accelerator, certified book coach, and author focusing on middle grade and young adult. I'm Sharon Skinner, author, accelerator, certified book coach, and author of speculative fiction and kidlet including picture book, middle grade, and young adult. Hey, Christy. Hey, Sharon. I hear we have a special guest for our podcast. Super special guest, Cindy Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. I'm excited to talk to Cindy about her new picture book. So I'm going to real quick introduce the amazing Cindy L. Rodriguez. She's a author of the YA novel, When Reason Breaks, and she's contributed to the anthology Life Inside My Mind. 31 authors share their personal struggles. She's also written the text for three Jake Maddox books, Volleyball Ace, Drill Team Determination, and Gymnastics Payback. And before becoming a teacher in 2000, she was an award-winning reporter, get that, a reporter, for the Hartford Current and a researcher for the Boston Globe Spotlight team. And I'm super impressed that she's been able to parlay her journalism into teaching and writing for kids because that's that's just so cool. She's the founder of Latinx's in Kidlet, a blog that celebrates children's literature by four about Latinx's. Cindy is currently a middle school reading specialist in Connecticut where she lives with her family. And this is actually her debut picture book. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited to have you. Tell us a little bit about your journey, because I'm very excited to hear that you went from journalism, which is a writing skill, like you got Mm -hmm. some man chops to begin with, and then you parlayed that into not only you know, how did you end up in teaching, first of all, and then also writing for kids? Yeah, sometimes it seems like I took some sharp right turns in my career, but they actually were related because when I was a reporter at the Hartford Current, so I was at the Current and then I actually went to Boston for a couple of years and I did work with the Spotlight team, which was the subject of that movie, Spotlight. That was the team that I worked on, although I didn't work on that particular project. And it was an amazing experience because my primary job was doing research, not the writing part, which at the time I felt like, you know, eh, okay, it's not really my thing. It's good for me to learn how to do. But in the long run, I didn't want to just do research. I wanted to write the stories too. But I have to say that that's the short time that I spent like solely focused on research that helped me in so many other ways in my life. (laughs) Like when I went back to graduate school and had to do a ton of research. And honestly, even now, like writing a picture book, even though it's only 500 words, the amount of time that you spend researching, especially if you're going to do something that's nonfiction. So all of my sort of pieces of my career, they were cumulative, right? They, they mattered down the line. It wasn't like, oh, I did this. And then I took a completely different turn in my life. And so journalism, when I left journalism, I was actually covering um, the Hartford Public Schools as my main beat. So that was kind of what inspired me to then become a teacher because 
after all the years I was a journalist for seven years, after all those years, you know, I interviewed everybody from the governor down to like people who were homeless. And honestly, I can tell you that like of the few careers out there at the time, teachers were the ones who consistently said, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how challenging every single day could be, I love it and I'll come back next year. <laughs> and it really made an impression on me. My own mom was a was a teacher before she got married and moved to the U.S. with my dad from Brazil. And so teaching was kind of like in the back of my mind already. And I think covering, covering it as a beat made me see the ins and outs of it and then actually convinced me this was something I could do. And plus I was going to be teaching reading and writing. So, you know, I wanted to be an ELA teacher because my undergraduate degree was in journalism and English. So, so I took a leap of faith in the sense that I never taught a day in my life, but I just felt like it would make sense for me. So I started the alternate route to certification program that the state of Connecticut has, which is kind of like a boot camp for the trained teachers. I was doing my master's degree work and it was just one of those things I never actually planned really to be a novelist and to write books. I wasn't someone who was on an MFA track, but when I was taking this particular course in Emily Dickinson, who I fell in love with and is a huge part of my first way novel, her, her life and her work, I just had these like scenes in my head, like these movie scenes and probably every writer says, you know, they like hear voices, though they're not insane. I was seeing these movie, like these movie scenes and I'm like, what is going on here? I dream about it. I'd see it. And then eventually I just started writing it down in a notebook. And I'm like, I'm not sure what's happening here, but I'm just going to start jotting this down because my subconscious was obviously trying to tell me something. And I just started like, that way. I started longing in, just like journaling at night. And when these scenes, they were literally like scenes from the movie. And I just started to get to know these characters. And I'm like, I think I need to write this story. And I just took everything I learned as, you know, like I said, as a journalist, as a teacher, and, and the book itself is very much about a teacher and her students and their relationships. So just like my covering education inspired me to be a teacher, my work as a teacher inspired my first book. So they were all connected in that way. And it was then that I had to do my own research because I knew nothing about the kid lit business. And, you know, that's at the time when I joined, you know, CPWI and started really researching, like, what is everything from, like, what is the format of a manuscript to what do I do next? How do I find an agent? I had to, like, you know, learn all that when I started. It was just, I have this idea. I'm starting to write it down. I'm committed to finishing it. And then I committed to, like, all right, what's next? So that's how that played out. I, I think that the, a lot of us find ourselves writing the same exact way, and especially writing for kids where we we have this story that just won't let us alone and we really need to tell it, but we don't necessarily know how. And that's why Christy and I work so hard at, you know, doing these Coaching Kid Lit podcasts and the coaching that we do. And that's why we volunteer with SCBWI. The Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators is because we want to help other people figure that out. So I, I love hearing that you talk about that journey because we we preach that a lot. Talk about the whole idea behind, yeah, you can have a passion for this, but there is also craft that goes into it. And 
understanding that on a deep level so that you can really write good books, really good kid led. Absolutely. And it's, it's a lot of work. You know, I think a lot of people think like, well, how hard can it be to write for kids or how hard can it be to write a picture book, especially, which I discovered was just as hard at times as writing a full length novel. Being a writer has been a part of me for decades, but still I didn't take for granted that like this would be easy. I definitely, you know, sort of like my student part of me kicked in, like, cause I was always you know, one of those like, you know, word nerds in school too, where it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it well. So like, what do I need to do? I want to see exemplars. I want to like hear from the experts. I want to understand all of this. And trust me, even then I felt like, even though I was educating myself, it's still when you sit down in front of the computer is difficult (laughs) because it's, it's an expressive form. There's a difference between reading, you know, like receiving it and actually then creating it. And, you know, like I can look at a painting and tell you what I see and talk about imagery and symbolism because that's part of like literature too, right? I can do that when I go to a museum, but I can't, I can't create a mural. Like it just isn't in me, right? But like, I knew I had this, the chops to be able to do the writing, but still like creating as opposed to receiving in, in the reading process is totally different. So to be able to create a novel, you know, that had two main characters and flashbacks, of course, because I didn't go easy on myself, right? This is just the way the book was presenting itself in my mind was really hard. And I had a, a child that I was adopted as a single parent. So of course, you know, like I said, I don't go easy on myself in any way. And honestly, I did get an agent and she left it and we did a little bit of revising, but she wasn't now in hindsight, a very editorial agent. So when we went out on sub, a lot of editors were like, interesting, but not ready. That was kind of the comments that like, it took us actually two years on sub to find the right editor who was really willing to dig in and cause it needed some major revision. And honestly, I wish I had like, book coaches like you guys at the time because it would have made a tremendous difference. I had to do a lot of the back end where now I work really hard to do knowing what I know about the process and everything else to do the work on the front end so that one, it'll be really ready for submission, especially in this culture right now where there's fewer and fewer things like being bought. It's just a tough time in publishing. And so that the editor will be like, oh, it's in good shape. You know, I let's let's take a chance on this because we don't really have to like pull it all apart. So I learned a lot from that first experience, even though it ended well, it didn't get published. I don't want to kind of go through that process again. So I work really hard on the front end now, for sure. What was the time, the timeline on that YA novel? So when did you start? When did it first start bothering you? When did you start writing it? And how did it? Yeah, I probably started writing it. It came out in 2015. So it was probably 2013 when it was bought. So going backward, it probably was like, I got my agent probably in 2012. Because I got an agent relatively quickly, which surprised me. But then it took a very long time to get the deal. And then it took a couple of years to get published, right? Because it takes two years for that process. So we're talking like I probably started it in like 2007 or 8. It was like a seven-year process in total. 
And Maria was then much younger than I remembered. <laughs> She's really like, a, she was a baby. And I, so I'm like, here's my baby. I'm going to grad school and I'm writing a novel. It was like a chaotic time, which is why I never remember specific names. But yeah, it's just, just to give people an idea, I think people are shocked when they hear those kinds of stories that it doesn't happen overnight, that it takes a long time to finish the draft. And then that's really just the beginning of the rest of the process. Cause you could have an agent who says it needs work. And then you have to do the revision at that point or, and, or when you get to the editor may say, I need an, a revise and resubmit. So you're constantly, I mean, it's, it's a very long process. And so my students, you know, who say they're going to be professional athletes, it's like the 1% who go from like, their day job to like book and movie deal, you know, where you hear about it in the news and everyone's excited for them. But that's not the norm. You know, the norm is the people along the way who are chugging along. And if you want a long-term career, it just is, it's a long, it's a long challenging process, but I love it. So that's why I do it. Even, even saying, oh, you, you're an overnight success and you came out of nowhere. I mean, before you even sat down to write that book, you had already been really working on the skills and all the things that you needed for for 20 years so it's not right right and i'm sure it overnight (laughs) right and i was gonna say and i'm sure obviously that's true too for the people that we suddenly hear about in the news i think most writers that's the case but just because it like hits the news you know or like our circles on twitter people suddenly like oh who's this person and then they create this narrative for themselves that this was an overnight success but but it wasn't. I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it took a long time for people to get where they where they're going. But yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's and 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 even still, like there are some people like I know who have worked. Like Margarita Engel is one of the most prolific Latina writers I know. I would consider an icon. You know, she has multiple books. She has multiple awards. She's probably the most decorated Latinx writer that we that we know of. But she's not like, you know. People may be say, who is she? Because she's not like, she's also a very humble person and she's not someone who has like movies and is on Netflix and she's not in the public eye that way. But to me, she is the ultimate like example of success because she's had a very long-term career. She's constantly selling books. She's always out and, you know, being like the keynote speaker at things. And she's like, said, very highly decorated and she's a wonderful person. She's constantly giving back and doing blurbs for people. And so there are different definitions for success too, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Like, it depends what you want from your writing career. You know, is that your goal is to have the movie deal? Like, are you like, I'm super ambitious and that's what I want. Or are, you know, I think you have to decide that for yourself. Do you, you know, success for you means, you know, being able to continue to write with passion and see those works get published, regardless of whether you end up, you know, having a movie premiere. And for me, the answer is that's the answer. Like, I want to just keep writing. I want to keep writing. I want to keep having books published. I want to keep engaging with people who read the books. And if I can do that for the next, you know, 20 years of my life, I'd be happy whether or not I end up at a movie premiere. Well, that'd be cool. But that's not like, I won't feel badly about my life if that doesn't happen. And sometimes I think writers set their expectations, like not that you shouldn't have high expectations, but it's not like this or nothing. I think there's a lot of in-between. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me too. I think knowing your why in this business is critical because it's too easy to get caught in the trap of, you know, judging your success by the parameters that have been established by someone else or by something that might be 
an unreal expectation. So I think that I absolutely agree with you. Well, I, I want to ask you, you know, that that's a really interesting journey. And I love hearing you talk about the process and how long it takes. And But you said something really key to me. And it's as hard to write a picture book as it is to write a novel. And you have your debut picture book, Three Pockets Full, a story of love, family, and tradition, which is illustrated by Begonia Fernandez Corbalan. I believe mm-hmm. I've got her name right there. There you go. And I, I think it's a lovely, lovely story. Thank you. And you were talking about your inspiration for your first novel. And this is inspired by some family history. And I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about that and sure. the process that it took <laughs> to get a picture book written as it compares to the challenge of a novel. Sure. Yeah. So my my father is Puerto Rican. And I always just remembered him having these shirts, which are called Guayberas. And they're very sort of like a light material and they have four pockets. And the history of it is talked about briefly in the book in the back, where the legend was that a woman sewed the pockets into the shirt for her husband, who was a farmer, so that he, when he went picking Guayabas, he could put them into the pockets kind of like a little basket, right? <laughs> Instead of having a basket. So I my, I grew up with my dad wearing these shirts and he would wear them often to parties, you know, so it was something that was like his go-to, like nice shirt. It wasn't just like the t-shirt, you know? So, so I just, I grew up around them and I didn't honestly know a lot about their history. And so when I was thinking about, because that was also part of my writing journey was I had written the, the way now though, for different reasons, you know, I had issues with agents and this and that. And my, my path wasn't like, oh, then I just had a next book. And then I just had a next book. It wasn't smooth in that regard. So I started taking on other projects and really thinking to myself, well, my goal is just to keep writing. You know, what else can I do? So I started doing some work for hire. And that's where I did the Jake Maddox books. And that was a younger age group. You know, it was, they're called high-low books. So they're written for middle grade, middle-aged, you know, middle grade students who are reading at a lower grade level. So then I was like, okay, I could do that. And with every sort of shift in age range, I had to do that similar like research, right? How do I do this particular kind of project? So then I was thinking about picture books and I thought, you know, that would be a good challenge for me because I think when you're writing a novel, which I still always had ideas for other longer forms, Obviously, when you're in that project, it does take years, you know, and a picture book can also take years. But the fact that the structure of it is so condensed, what takes years is normally, for me at least, was like either researching the subject, being able to, you know, find the voice for it. But you can set it aside and come back to it and work on the whole story in in an hour or two and then maybe set it aside. Whereas with a novel, for me, I need a few hours just to write one chapter. And then Christy knows me that I'm like the chef who cleans up as I cook. So that takes me even longer. I, I have a hard time just like sloppy, you know, just type, 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 just get it out and then go back and clean it up. I want to like, I'm cleaning, I'll write a paragraph and go back and fix it and come back. And so it's agonizing and I have to fix that about myself. I'm working on it. <laughs> We're working with a picture book. You know, you can sit for an hour 
and and then revise the whole thing and then say okay i'm going to set it aside and see if i'm happy with it you know in a day or two so it's a, it that's kind of the different mind shift so anyways i researched you know everything i could about picture books when i went to the new england conferences I then went to sessions about picture books as opposed to previous series when I went to sessions about YA. So again, re- you know, educating myself about that particular genre. But getting back to like, so my family, my I grew up around these shirts. You know, they were always considered like super cool and you could wear them, like I said, to formal events. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I, I want to write some picture books. It's more of like generating ideas. And, you know, a lot of the... Latinx picture books at the time were were very specifically about like immigration and deportation and and I was like you know I know those are super important and they still are but I wanted to what else could I write about that was still connected to culture but was a different kind of story you know and and even now like I'm writing a couple of books that are picture books that are connected to the Latinx culture but are more about like celebration you know more about like something you know that it could be sad or it could be but it's ultimately joyful if that makes sense too so like I, you know my mother was an immigrant she 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 moved from brazil my daughter is an immigrant because i adopted her from guatemala so i'm very well versed in, in those issues but i didn't want that to be the only narrative that i think kids are hearing it's just about like you know the border issues and being deported and families being torn apart because those are really hard issues and I didn't live that personally either. It wasn't my story. Like I grew up in Chicago in the Northeast. So a lot of those really great books about those topics are coming from Mexican-American writers who are experiencing that directly. So that was also another concern. Like, I don't want to write that story because it's not necessarily my story to write. And I'm not going to do it just because those are the things that are selling, right? So my per- personally, I wanted it to be connected to my culture, but not but be something different. So I was like, what hasn't been written about? You know, like what, what are some things that I haven't seen in the picture book world? And so I was just started like literally brainstorming some things. And this was one of the topics. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen a book for kids that talks about the Goyabara and talks about its history and talks about its importance in the culture. Cause you know, you'll find them everywhere. If you go, if you travel in the Caribbean or if you go to Mexico and they're also very popular in Southeast Asia, like they're all over the world in these really hot tropical, you know, climates. But I don't think I've ever seen a book that has that as part of its narrative. So that's where that came from. And the fact that it's, it is considered, it's sometimes called the Mexican wedding shirt, that then sparks my idea that there should be a wedding involved here somehow. And that took a long time for me also to piece out. Like at first I was going to have it be his sister, his older sister who was getting married and he didn't want to wear the shirt. And then like his grandfather, you know, convinced him how, you know, they made it cool in some way. And I was like, I don't know. I don't think that has like enough heart to it. So then I, I played with this idea of, because in my own house, I got married at a much later age and we have a blended family. You know, my daughter and I, it was just my daughter and I for a long time. And then I married my husband and we are a family. And it's, it's, I understood that sort of like, excitement yet anxiety about about that huge change so in the story the boy is adamant he's like i don't want to go to the wedding i don't want to wear the shirt and initially you think it's just about the shirt but then we learn later that it's about the fact that the wedding is his mother's she is getting remarried and he has this underlying anxiety about like 
I'm going to have a new dad. And what does that mean? You know, does that, what does that mean for the memory of my, my biological father? So that to me, once I started playing with that idea and, and drafting that, that's the one that made the most sense to me. And that I felt I could speak to because I had gone through that with my own daughter. You know, she was adopted and already has some questions, right, about her past. And she knows me as her primary parent because I've been with her since she was a baby. But now here's this new person coming in. So I'm sure, you know, she was excited, but there was an anxiety there too that I felt I could address in a children's book and not have it be overly sad, but the touching. Well, I think you succeeded on the touching part. I had that emotional response to this story. I, I had that awe moment that I always look for in a character-driven picture book. And I think you pulled that off beautifully. And I think it crept up on me just a little bit because of the way that you presented the story. So I think it's beautifully done. In, in I, I loved that moment of the story. And of course, now uh, my brain wants to know what would you put in your pockets, right? It's like that, <laughs> you put those lovely notes in there, uh, the reader notes and things like that, the, about having conversations about what would you put in the pockets and, you know, the fact that he's got that one last pocket that he didn't put anything in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, you know, I just think it's, it leaves you thinking very, it, it's a very thoughtful book and it, it leaves you with a lot of room to think. And I really appreciate that about this book. Thank you. Yeah. And I, we've, we've been doing a fun thing with where we ask people that question. And Chrissy doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to show a better house with a Goyabana that she has to put on. And I'm going to ask her what would be in your pocket. So I have like a little video like campaign where, and it's interesting to find out what people choose. You know, my brother is actually coming up next and he's still thinking about it, but I just did my daughter's boyfriend and he's like, of course, I'd have a picture of Maria. <laughs> and she's like, good answer. And then like his next thing was like a handful of those dumb, dumb lollipops. I'm like, oh, that's so cute. It's such a kid thing, but it's like his favorite treat, right? So yeah, I think, you know, we think about if we had to think about what was important to us and they could fit in a pocket, you know, that would be then a good next question for kids. My publisher, Cardinal Rule Press, which is a small but mighty publisher. I love them. Put together this entire educator's guide and in it is a coloring page of the shirt so kids can can color it any color they want to. And they can talk about, you know, they can write out or draw what would be in their pockets, what would be important to them. So there's a lot you can do with it with kids, you know, before and after reading. And as a teacher, I love that too, because the before, during and after reading questions that are in the book, was, is actually something that Cardinal Rule Press does all the time with their books. And so some people have asked me, like, well, did you, did you like ask for that because you're a teacher and you wanted to make sure it was like a teachable type book? And I said, no, it's a publisher already had that sort of as a part of their structure, which is great because then you can, I know as a teacher, the more, the more things that are sort of prepared for you, they're like, here's some things you can use. You know, you don't have to, but here's a guide. Here are some questions you can ask. It makes it a lot easier on the teacher than be like, thank you. Yes, I can then turn keyers right into my classroom as opposed to having to create all of the lessons and questions about it. So the book does that have, have, does have that built in, which is, which is awesome. When did you write this? 
this one was this one was done again I, I probably wrote it started writing it at least probably five years ago and then I, I think I just set it aside because I didn't like I said I had some issues with agents and I I was unagented for a long time and in that time is when I was doing like I said the work for higher projects to keep myself busy and to keep writing and trying new things and actually for this particular book I also I still didn't have an agent so for writers who want to know like they think the only way you can get published is through an agent. Cardinal Rule Press has an open window for submissions once in the, I believe in the fall. And then again, they take a break and then they have another one in the winter, like winter, spring, like February to March, somewhere around there. But anyways, for people who are interested, they should look up Cardinal Rule Press. And that's what I did. I just sent it in blindly as a, as a submission in their open window frame, time frame. And was one of three people selected to be published the next year. So a little bit of luck, obviously, that they they liked it and that they um, felt connected to it. But again, a lot of work <laughs> leading up to that point, revision after revision, changing the idea, changing it from third person to first person, you know, trying to find the exact right way to tell the story before submitting it to the publisher. So they're one of the one of they're one of the publishers who does accept unagented books, but during specific times. You didn't answer the question though. What are you putting Oh, in? what would be in my pockets? I'm sorry. I would well, of course I'd have like a little notebook and pencil, right? I was thinking like those little tiny little ones that you can't fit in your pocket because I think we're always like, oh I gotta write that down. And I'm getting of an age where I really do mean to write things down because then I forget. Um, so I'd have a little, a little pocket notebook with a pencil because that, do I have to have the pencil in a separate pocket or can I count that as one? Yeah, I will allow it. Counted it's one. We'll allow it. Okay. And then I would have, there's a picture that I have, I think what seems my background on Facebook right now. It's a family, like we were at dinner. For, it was, I think my mother's birthday. This was a few years ago. And it was one of those moments where like everybody was there. So my immediate family, I have a brother and a sister. And there's, you know, there are spouses and kids and my dad and my mom. And my mom passed away a little over a year ago. So it's one of the, probably one of those few last pictures we have of the entire family together, you know, out at the dinner table. So I would have that picture in my pocket. And what would be this third thing? It would have to be something related to probably my dogs. There's a dog that's a prominent in this picture book, and I love the dog Lupe. And I'm my dogs bring me so much joy that I probably would have to have like not a poop bag that would remind me of the bad parts of dog ownership, but uh, maybe a picture of the two of the dogs together, like a dog treat to represent them. I don't know. I just the more and more I think about my pets, like, especially during the pandemic when I was home and teaching and it was very stressful and difficult, you know, they'd come up and just snuggle up on you and you just felt like everything would be okay. Like, so the, I just have this more of a deep appreciation for my, my two dogs, probably more than ever. So I'd have maybe like a little treat in my pocket that they could have to sniff out. <laughs> when they snuggle up on me, they can sniff it out and fight over it. I'll have two because we have two dogs. <laughs> That's cute. And then you have to put, put some empanadas for me in another pocket. I will I will bring them to you and you can put an empanada in your pocket. <laughs> Cindy and I are critique partners. We, you know, everybody needs different motivations. So she motivates me 
by cooking food for me <laughs> and withholding it until I accomplish things. And and Cindy is the originator of the the daisy that seems to, to be motivating other people now. When she was writing, I send her memes cursing at her and telling her to get to sit down and get her stuff done. Different yeah. love languages, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Chrissy has all these beautifully like uh, inspirational um, things on Instagram, and then we joke about how people who really know her knows that she swears like a sailor, and like she should, you know. But she doesn't want to like scare people, but because uh, she's very sweet, but she does have that side to her where she's like, just get it effing done. <laughs> well, as 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 a veteran a sailor. Uh, yeah, that's, I will say that's probably one of the way, reasons that Christy and I get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have some commonalities there. There you go. No, I was going to say that I, I find it really interesting because, you know, when you think about what would you put in those pockets and, you know, Beto is going to a wedding and he specifically fills his pockets based on what he's doing that moment. Right. And that's a very, very... I think it's really kind of a thing that you don't really think deeply about until you start thinking deeply about it, that kids live very much in the moment. And so that is a very momentary, what would you put in your pocket? But when we start to think about it as adults, we start to think about, oh my God, there is just so much. What would I put in my pockets? And is it, and is it for the whole lifetime? Is it for this, you know, this, my, mm. to entirely represent who I am today or right. Would it be in the moment? And I think kids are more likely to think in the moment, you know, right. what am I wearing the shirt for? And what in that moment would be those things that I resonate with, right? Right. I think it becomes a more difficult question for those of us who are thinking. It represents something larger of like, you said, like it represents our life and what's been important to us over the years. But you're right. He, he literally has to carry the rings so he puts one in each packet but if he were able to if this was a different day and we were able to ask the character you know what would you put in your pocket it might be something totally different it might be a dinosaur or you know a lego if he's a builder so yeah i agree it's it's functional like this is the reason he's he's wearing the shirt is for the wedding and he's he's he has a, a role in the wedding but when we ask ourselves, it's more of like what represents us as people, what's important to us. So it is, it can be used, I think, for different age groups too. You know, I think about being a teacher and I teach middle school, but sometimes in middle school and even high school, you know, when you're teaching certain lessons, it actually is okay. And kids love it. When you're like, I'm going to read you a picture book today. They're like, they turn into like six-year-olds in front of you. But there are plenty of picture books that I've used as a start of a, of a lesson, you know, like if it's especially a technique like cause and effect, we've used, you know, the mouse and the cookie. If you do this, then this. So it could be something you're teaching about social emotional, you know, a lot of, we've been doing a lot of SEO lessons about these sort of big emotions and what do you do with them? You know, clearly he tries to avoid the whole thing at the start. And no matter how old we are, I think when faced with something that's emotionally difficult that is a reaction like I'm just going to ignore it you know I'm just going to avoid it so I think you can use it to talk about bigger issues or like tackling those emotional things in general like he has to come to terms with it eventually so I think it can be used with older students as well even if 
even though it's specifically written for, you know, younger, younger readers. So, and, and I'm really enjoying talking to you, but I, I would really like it, Cindy, if you could, because we always do actionable items for our listeners. And if you could, maybe this episode, give us an actionable item that you think would be valuable to our listeners who are interested, particularly in writing picture books. Sure. I, yeah, I was thinking about, about some kind of like, if I could leave sheet with some kind of tip and I always go back to, I took an advanced composition course in my graduate work. And I had one professor who, even though we were expected to write in the end, you know, 10 page papers, he started our advanced composition course by giving us 250 words. And he said, I'm going to give you a topic. I don't remember what the topic was, but it wasn't, it wasn't just like the sun, you know, it was like we were reading a book or something. And he said, you need to respond in no more than 250 words. And you know, when you, when you share it with me, I will check the counter. If it's 251, I'm giving it back to you. And I was like, you know, so, and he explained why he was doing this. He said, when you have written me 250 words and I feel like they're perfect, then I'll give you 250 more. And then I want you to write 500. And he, he didn't do this all the way to the five or 10 page paper mark, but after a certain point that he said, okay, now you can write long. And he said, he was a writer also as a teacher as well as a professor. And he said, it's been my experience that if we start by saying you have 20 pages, you know, it's very easy to go on and on and on and on and on. And, and when you tell somebody you have just 250 words or the 500 words, you're forced to consider every single word that you use. You're forced to consider, did I use the right verb? You know, did I use, did I get to the heart of what I really wanted to say within the space that I have? And clearly that is the essence of a picture book because nowadays picture books are um, about 500 words. So I would say even this would be a great exercise for any writer, middle grade, YA, because I do think that you know, when I sit down to write a longer book and they're like, okay, you have 55,000 words that you must create, it can be overwhelming. So, you know, think about it in terms of those 500 word chunks. Can you write this scene in 500? Just do it for yourself. You know, if it's a, even if it's longer than that, can you condense it down? Think about every single word. Does it work? You know, are you getting to some emotional component? And of course, as a picture book writer, then those 500 words are going to be revised and changed and whatever. Maybe you do, we'll have a little extra space. But I think it's a great writing exercise for the longer people who write longer, because it really just brings you back to basics of like the idea that every word matters. Nice. I love that. That's interesting, too, because coming from a journalism background, that's what you were used to doing is telling us taking a big story, right? And bringing it into, into the columns. And exactly. You were doing it long ago enough that was it still literally cutting the. Yeah. Long ago, they literally, if they said we have, we have 12, 12, they used inches. They, you know, cause they would be measuring, literally measuring it out on the, the design floor. Like you have 12 inches for this article, the headline will go here and you have 10 inches or whatever. 
And if you wrote longer, because that idea that you put the most important things on top, the reason for that is because they literally would just slice it off with an exacto knife. And we would say like, oh, what happened to the last three paragraphs if they'd end up on the floor? That's literally what they meant. They, like they sliced it and because it didn't fit. You had to really think about every single thing that you're writing so that if you wanted, you don't want anything sliced off that didn't make sense and then leave it not making sense you'd have to fit it into that space. And I hadn't done that type of writing for so long that when I got to that advanced composition course, it was like a reminder of that. And it it wasn't, again, it wasn't easy. It was like a muscle you have to really work, you know, work. But it, it really was fascinating to do. And then when you would do the same thing with a page, you know, now you've got one page. If it literally, if you hit a period and it goes to the next page, you have to go back. So it was a great experience in true editing and revising, more so the revising, right? Sometimes it was that karma, but really revising your work so that it is tight and really gets to your point. Well, and I think that fits nicely with the blueprint, the mini blueprint that we work on and some of the tools that we use when we're coaching, because it really helps people encapsulate down into a small space, the whole concept of a book or the idea that they're trying to work on. So I think that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks You're for welcome. sharing that. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for joining us today about this. And can you give us a little bit more? When is your book coming out and where can we buy it? Yeah, thank you. So Three Pockets Full will be released officially on July 1st of this year. So we're just about a month out and it should be available for pre-order right now. You know, the major book sites, including Barnes & Noble and IndieBound. So if you're interested in pre-ordering, it's there. Otherwise, it'll be a great time to pick up in the summer and hopefully there'll be more soon. Great. And where can we find you on social media if we want to follow you? I have a website, cindyelrodriguez.com. I am on Facebook and um, Twitter. It's like the reverse of my name. So it's Rodriguez Cindy L. And also, obviously, check out Latinx and Kidlet, which is the, the blog that I'm a part of. And to get more ideas for books about the Latinx culture. Well, thank you, Cindy. This has been a pleasure. It's been a joy. And I'm so glad that I've got a chance to get to know you. I've heard about you plenty, but I, I didn't get to know you before and I'm really happy to do that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for thank having you. me. It was fun. Thanks for being our first guest star. I guess I owe you empanadas now that you had me as a guest. <laughs> okay. I'll send you my mailing address. Okay. Well, thank you everybody for joining us and we will see you next time. Bye for now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Coaching Kidlet, a writing and book coaching podcast for writers who want to level up their kidlit writing game. For more about us and to discover what a book coach can do for you, check out coachingkidlit.com and follow us on social media. 